You were tuned in to episode four of Sound Science on Dub Lab Radio with me, your host, Dr. Uanto Pierce. On this show, I talk about science and music with the help of those in the know from both worlds while playing an eclectic mix of tunes to get you ready for your Monday. So let's start the show off by playing this tune by Art Barkley and the African Ensemble. This is a beer in African, African Women. the science of rhythm. In the first part of the show, I'll be unpacking the concepts of rhythm and talking about how the brain perceives and responds to rhythmic sounds. My first guest on the show will be my dear friend Heidi Prendergast, who is a dancer, choreographer and teacher, and who will be helping me understand how the body responds to rhythm. I'll then be trying to get to the bottom of why our ability to move in time with music varies, and why regardless of how well you can move, music, and specifically drum music, can actually help with a number of illnesses and improve well-being. Then in the second part of the show, I will be talking to two incredible drummers, Paulie the PSM and Pegasus Warning, about their drumming practice. But first, have a listen to this and see if you can keep up. Not too fast, not too fast now. That's right. Now keep it up, keep it up. I'll give you some direction. Group one, group two, group three. Keep it up, keep it up. Keep one, keep it up, keep it up. Group two. Group three, come it up. Group three. Ha, 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 ha. Listen to yourself. Keep it up, keep it up. clip from arts educator Connell Coley's TEDx talk back in October 2015 entitled Drumming and the Brain, which we'll come back to a bit later. What is rhythm and how does it relate to the brain? So one definition of rhythm is that it is a strong, regular, repeated pattern of movement or sound and incorporates beat, meter, tempo and syncopation. Along with melody and harmony, rhythm is an essential component of music differentiating it from just sound. Rhythm can also refer to coordinating your movement with something that you hear. So how do we hear? Sound is captured by the fleshy part of the ear and funneled down into the auditory canal to the eardrum. This sets off a vibrational domino effect. The vibration of the eardrum causes three little bones called the malleus, incus and stapes to vibrate which in turn causes a structure called the oval window to vibrate. Because the oval window is attached to a structure called the cochlea, it too will vibrate. The cochlea is made up of a top membrane and a bottom membrane, along which are small tiny hairs. Now the cochlea contains a fluid which gets pushed all the way around the cochlea in response to the vibration. As the fluid flows around the cochlea, it pushes up on the top membrane and down on the bottom membrane, causing the hairs to move back and forth. 
When this happens, an electrical signal is generated, which travels via the auditory nerve to part of the brain called the auditory cortex. And this is how the brain perceives sound. Neuroimaging studies have revealed that music, once perceived in the auditory cortex, induces widespread activation of various networks across several structures in the brain. You can have a closer look at the key areas associated with music processing on www.soundsciencepodcast.com under episode 4 of the episode tab. But here I'm just going to concentrate on how humans entrain the mind and body to incoming rhythmic sensory inputs. In other words, how we find the beat. recognize and reproduce a large number of rhythms and move in synchrony to a beat by rhythmically timed movements of different body parts such as tapping a finger or a foot or swaying the body from side to side. This special cognitive ability allows us to dance and play music in a group. Extracting a beat structure from a musical rhythm also known as beat perception together with synchronization is a robust ubiquitous and intuitive behavior that develops from an early age. Recent scientific data has revealed which specific brain areas and neuronal circuits are involved in the process. And it turns out that in order to move in time to a musical rhythm, the brain must extract the regularity in the incoming temporal information and predict when the next beat will be. Functional MRI studies suggest that predictive timing involves interactions between the auditory cortex, which is where the brain perceives sound, and the motor cortex, which is involved in controlling the execution of movement. I feel like I can hear you saying, what the hell is oscillatory behaviour? So let me explain. Rhythm isn't limited to music. Our bodies have their own natural rhythmic patterns called biorhythms. For example, the heart has an internal pacemaker that causes it to beat repetitively for our entire lives. Scientists believe that many biological functions like this are controlled by a natural internal oscillation pattern. This internal oscillator is thought to form the foundation of internal timekeeping mechanisms and allows us to track a beat. By adapting it, humans can synchronise rhythmic activities like pace of walking or dancing to a beat from incoming music. So one person I know who definitely does not have an issue with rhythm is my good friend Heidi, who works with movement. She is a dancer, a choreographer and a teacher and one of my favourite dancing partners. So I interviewed her about the body and rhythm. So Heidi, welcome to this month's episode of Sound Science. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> We're actually recording in your studio in Burbank, or yes. in the studio that you teach at. Uh, can you tell the audience a little bit about what you do in terms of, you know, your relationship with movement? I am a dancer. I've been dancing much of my life, but training classically and traditionally, um, technically since I was 14. I am a teacher. I teach movement, different forms to kids and adults, like probably ages two is my youngest student up until, I don't know, my oldest student I think is 70 right now. Um, So kind of a large range, but I work a lot with kind of kids and teenagers and, and that age range. I'm a choreographer also. 
eye together movement to uh, tell Heidi, stories and work. Just because you might not mention it yourself, <laughs> Heidi has just made this incredible film. Can you tell us a little bit about that quickly? Yes, okay, so I recently created a project that focused on facilitating light energy in your body and how to do that and what different people did to access that. I interviewed or worked with five different non-dancers and created this short series of movement films that sort of all dealt with the idea of lightness in a sort of abstract way, but came from a very specific place. And then in the creation became this other thing. I'm talking with my hands, which I can't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, it's very, honestly, it's very good. Uh, well, I'll give... Is that a good description? I'll put, that was a yeah. great description. I'll put some details up on the website. So how did you get into dance? You're classically trained? Did you study dance? Yeah, so as a kid, like a small, a young kid, my, I performed with my family a little bit, movement and singing, um, which is a, a whole other story, but that was sort of like the first introduction to like putting together movement and doing it in front of people. And then when I was 14, I started training at first just in like, you know, I wanted to take like a dance class and then very shortly after that decided that it was something I was really interested in and then started studying pretty pretty seriously classical ballet and then other stuff too hip-hop a little bit jazz a little bit tap but classical ballet was kind of the main thing from the time I was 14 till I was 18 like every day because I started dancing late so that was sort of my introduction to dance I was a little bit older it was a little bit different for me, but I think my brain had already developed in certain ways, so it was easier for me to understand some concepts. Anyway, specifically to rhythm is something I've always felt, I personally have always felt very natural for me. To hear music, to listen to rhythm, to dissect rhythms, and be able to, you know, sort of listen and hear different things that are going on in music, which is, you know, sometimes not that difficult to do. And sometimes is, but a lot of music is very simple. For you, it, I, I mean, I've seen you move. It's very, it seems very natural to you. Do you remember when you were young before you started training just moving to music? Um, I mean, sure. Like, I think there are definitely times where probably music was playing and it's always felt pretty natural for me to move around. I had a pretty unconventional childhood, so I wasn't always allowed to access all music that I wanted. As a teenager, sort of had to sneak listening to certain music if my dad didn't allow it. So that was always interesting because it kind of was like the things that I was drawn to were very, it was very natural because it wasn't really, we didn't really hear that much music at home. My dad did like some artists and he did let us listen to the artists that he liked, but he was very controlled. So, you know, right. but I don't ever remember feeling, and I, to this day, like as a kid or as an adult, I don't ever remember feeling discomfort moving when music came on. It was always something that felt really natural, not something I had to put a lot of thought process into, just happened pretty, pretty innately. And with training and dance, I think it became more interesting to listen to music and then move, even in a non, you know, non-classical sense, just like going out and dancing to music because I could hear different things in music and then my body kind of would want to respond in different ways to different sound, which I sort of maybe was able to pay more attention to with dance training. Because that's the aspect that I'm interested in. Some people are naturally good movers 
or they find it easy to pay the rhythm and move to a beat. But with the training, so what you're saying is actually that helps you to hear more in the music that you, you can then respond to with your body. I think, yeah, I mean, I think, well, for me, music and dance are really closely related. So it's not that one can't exist without the other. Like, of course, there's music without movement and of course there's movement in silence. But I think that they inspire each other. And I think as a group, they make a lot of, they're very whole. The two pieces together feel very whole to me. I don't know if dance training made me hear music differently or with a different kind of clarity because I was trying to express something and learning how to play with music, I think is a part of that. As a, you understand, I think you learn, I don't know when I learned this, if it was like in a choreographic space or just as a performer, but I think you learn at a certain point that music can help you get your point across or it can hinder you from getting your point across, especially when putting choreography together. So I think learning how to decipher what music enhances certain movements or perhaps maybe not even movements but like this music makes sense because it, it allows me to say what I'm trying to say with my body even though I'm not using verbalized words this music has the feeling or the energetic quality that I'm trying to present so it maybe helps the audience understand or sometimes the opposite of that sometimes having really contrasting music can can show the movement in a way that you wouldn't expect to see it because the music is so contrasting to make like a smooth movement with like a very abrupt music can right. be like almost a more, you, almost the movement feels more common because everything around it is so abrupt. As a choreographer, the rhythm is something that you can play with. Yeah, I think actually often it works really well to play with the, the rhythm sometimes and then sometimes to not play with it at all or to not have rhythm. You know, when you're out and you're social dancing, I think dancing with rhythm is always gonna get you the furthest. Like, it's always gonna be the best. You're always gonna feel the best. It's always gonna kind of put you into that translate, well, not in video, in that kind of like translate, translate state of like being able to kind of move and groove and have the music kind of move with you, like become a whole piece, you and the music moving. But in choreography, when you're trying to kind of create a work, I actually think sometimes doing too much with the music layered completely the same as the dance becomes really monotonous for the audience. Right, yeah. So kind of using sound or rhythm to play with when you do, that way when it does sync up the movement and the music, it has a more, uh, it's more impactful. I want to shift now to sort of the teaching. Okay. The range of people that you teach, you said from Two or four, yeah. Two I mean, mostly it's older than two, but I do have more students. There'll be some who naturally have a lot of rhythm, and some to whom it doesn't come as naturally. Yeah. Is rhythm something that you can teach? Um. <laughs> I want to say yes, but I want to say that it's if it's not innate to you, like if it's not something that you hear naturally. Okay, not something that you can physically represent naturally, because you might have to learn to put it in your body. But if it's something that your ear cannot hear, that I'm not sure. Can you teach rhythm if someone can't hear where the rhythm is? Like if they can't clap on the beat, can you teach them? I'm not sure. Have I had students who really struggled with rhythm? Yes. Um, 
and dance is often, I mean, especially in teaching dance, like you're using pretty simplistic rhythm patterns. You're not really going into much polyrhythm. You're, you're really using a really simple structure. So I find that most kids or people can sort of follow a simple downbeat on like a really basic rhythm, like a four, four, which is like basically just like, boom. Just like really, it's simple, you know, it's, it's, it's four counts, it's eight counts. And that, I find that most people can hear that. Now, can they put it in their body? Not always. And can you teach them that? Yes. If they can hear it. If they can't hear it, I mean, that's so nice. then that's a different thing. It's like with singing, they say like, if you can't hear that you're off key, you probably can't fix it. But if you can hear it you probably can hear that you're off and then maybe eventually with the right muscular training, you can fix it. So I would say it's similar with dance. Like if you can hear the beat, I think you could eventually learn how to present it in your body. So with choreography, where you've learned a particular sequence of movement, that's one skill. But obviously people have their own way of moving. And when I see you dance, for example, you obviously are a trained dancer, but there is an essence that comes with that, which is natural. Like you just naturally can move to a beat well mm-hmm. so in a classroom where you have able to learn the choreography do you see variation in terms of the like extra certain, layer on top like the, the extra rhythm sure there are some students who have like an innate quality i mean i don't know if i if, if it's rhythm or if it's quality of movement where the rhythm settles in your body in a way that it's more clear to the eye the external eye mm-hmm. Um, because do the kids that just kind of look a little dorky and awkward, but are still on the beat, but it's not yeah, their body exactly. can, do they feel it in the same way? Is it anxious? Are they, sometimes when I watch dancers like that, I feel anxious because I'm not sure if it's going to happen on the beat. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's mm-hmm. what being off the beat does for viewers. It makes them kind of like, puts them off a bit. Like it makes them unsettled because it's not so clear. <laughs> but then obviously there are some dancers who have just a really natural movement quality and mm-hmm. rhythm sits in their body in a way, or it sits in their torso in a way where it's like, it's not just in the feet. It's not just in the hip or wherever you're trying to put it, but it's in the whole body. Those students are the ones that become professionals or, or are more on the route to that because it's more innate in them, I, I believe. Heidi and I go dancing. She's my favorite dance. Oh no, sorry, other friends. <laughs> Heidi's one of my favorite dance uh, partners, but we go out and we dance. Generally, do you think that there is uh, an overall genre of music that you find easier to move to? And then I'm going to ask you which genres. <laughs> really not easy. I mean, my what I'm most regularly drawn to, just as a person, just as Heidi, outside of dancer is R&B music. So I tend to listen to that a lot and personally, I tend to dance to that a lot. I don't use it that much in teaching because it's slow and it's romantic. Well, not all of it nowadays. (laughs) It used to be romantic. (laughs) And sometimes that's, you know, like a fine line. You have to be, Mm -hmm. when you work with kids, you have to think about topics, themes and things like this. But I find that to be very kind of natural for my body to move in this kind of circular and soft. I love house music that has like a heavy bass drum and like vocals, love. 
sometimes to really move out a lot of energy, some like really trappy hip hop music is great, just to like really move energy around. Yeah, I, agree. I find that there's a particular genre that is, aside from Heidi and what Heidi likes to <laughs> move to, that is just technically easier to for everyone. I think most pop music. I think most pop music, which is like if you go to like a, a dance class at your gym or um, you know like a yoga class where they're playing you know popular top 40 music. I think honestly, if you listen to most top 40 stuff, that kind of music again because it's a really simple rhythmic structure tends to be easy to move to because it's the same beat over and over, it's not hard to hear, and it usually has a heavy downbeat, so you can hear that, and it's easy to hear that and move on that. So I think for simplistic reasons, pop music is probably the easiest. And is there a genre that you find, I mean, jazz in terms of rhythm? Jazz is hard, but I really fun to improv to. Right. For me, because it gives you so many different rhythms to play within and it kind of moves through different sounds which for me is like okay this inspires me to do this as opposed to something that's super repetitive after a while I think okay I think I've done all the movements that I can think that this movement this music brings me um so jazz I would say it's probably pretty hard to create structured choreography too okay or like a a combo or a phrase that's easy to follow along it's usually very polyrhythmic some classical music changes in the middle often or there'll be like sounds that come in and out and um, it's, it's harder to follow. It's not such a, a simple rhythmic pattern. I don't know, I love dancing to kind of abstract sound even though obviously that doesn't give you much impulse. I think maybe that's what I like about it is it kind of gives you a lot of space but it gives you a little bit of some kind of quality without it being just empty air. And then sometimes you'll get a note or a little rhythmic pattern that will come in and out. So I sort of like sort of ambient abstract sounds sometimes, but I think it would be hard to like, be like, okay, and you're on this sound, you're gonna do this. So it's like, well, how do I get to that sound? How do I know when that sound is coming? I'm personally not that inspired to move around to like really heavy rock, punk, no offense. Um, (laughs) Just because my body doesn't, just because my personal body doesn't tend to need to move that way, but I could see how like, I could see how for certain, for certain people that kind of energy of this very like kind of like up and down, like almost jumpy feeling could feel really amazing. And you would just do that over and over and you would eventually be like hypnotized or something by that. Like, Mm -hmm. so I can understand how like some people really driven by that, but personally that does not drive me to move. Like I can handle that for about 10 minutes and I'm like, I'm out. Cause it's very linear to me. And I, I really like more circular qualities. And you know, maybe I should play with that and try to make circles to that too, but you know, <laughs> right there, yeah. Thank you so much for breaking that down for me and helping us to understand a little bit more about movement in relation to rhythm. That's super interesting. Thank you so much for having me. It's just cute. It's an absolute pleasure having you. Okay, so that's that's it for our interview. But thank you again for being my guest in Sound Science. A pleasure. Thank you. The expression to march to the beat of your own drum usually refers to doing something or acting or behaving in a manner that does not conform to the standard, prevalent or popular societal norm. But for some people, they literally do move to the beat of their own drum. You know the ones, you've seen them on the dance floor. They seem to be moving to music that only they can hear in their heads. 
you might actually think this describes you. But the truth is that the majority of humans are able to clap, dance, march in unison with few problems. Although how well we're perceived to do this does vary, there is a small percentage of the population who genuinely have difficulty in being able to dance to a beat. These people are described as having beat deafness and it's a real disorder. Back in 2014, a group from McGill University published a paper which shed light on why this happens in some individuals. Truly beat deaf people have a very, very difficult time clapping or tapping to an auditory beat or swaying to one. It's a problem that is far more severe than just lacking coordination or not being very graceful. Here's a clip of Caroline Palmer, lead author on the paper, speaking about the research. This is taken from a video posted on YouTube by McGill University. I'm Carolyn Palmer. I'm a professor in psychology at McGill, and I'm working with our collaborators at University of Montreal, Isabel Peretz and Pascal Ligi. Beat deafness is a pretty rare disorder. It's a problem in which people uh, have a tough time either tapping or clapping or moving their head to some regular pattern. Beat deaf individuals have a, an especially hard time adapting to changes in sound. So we present them in the lab with examples of sounds that change. We present them with a metronome and it's changing in an unpredictable way and their job is to tap along with it. So you'll hear an example of one of the trials by the beat deaf individuals. The high pitch tone is the metronome, which will change its rate unpredictably. The low pitch tone is their response. We're not sure why some people have difficulty hearing or moving to a beat, while most people don't have any difficulty. It doesn't seem to be something that's conscious it seems to be something that is a reaction to engagement with sound. So our hypothesis was that BDEF individuals may have different biological rhythms than people who don't have difficulty tracking a beat. Next up is to understand the types of behaviors or the types of experiences that distinguish BDEF people from people who don't have trouble finding a beat. So maybe it's not limited to sound. Maybe there are patterns of visual cues with which beat deaf people look different from other people. Once we understand the variety of behaviors that differentiate these individuals, we can have a better handle on how much the biological rhythms are driving our behavior. Regardless of how well you can dance, music is undeniably good for you, and not just in terms of lifting your mood. Music-based interventions have proven beneficial in stroke and dementia, as well as Parkinson's disease and epilepsy. While positive improvements have been reported for anxiety and depression following group drumming interventions specifically. Here is Cornel Coley again from the TEDx stage. For thousands of years, people have been using drums and rhythm to heal. Currently, there's a lot of scientific evidence that proves the benefits of drumming for health reasons. There are two major claims for therapeutic drumming. One is that it alters the way the brain processes information. Two is that it boosts your immune system. The science of it is that it activates the killer T cells, the white blood cells that the body generates to fight virus and disease, documented by Dr. Barry Bittman of Health Rhythms. 
The other things about the brain is we work on brain waves. We live in a beta brain world where we're working fast, we're active, we're getting things done, we're multitasking. But the downside is that it makes us susceptible to feelings of anger, fear, and worry. We need balance and we seek it. That comes with the alpha, the next lower brain wave state, a little slower. It is associated with feelings of calm, tranquility. Drumming doubles the presence of the alpha brain waves, documented by Dr. Barry Quinn. More about the brain is that we have those two hemispheres, which everybody knows, the logical left, the creative right, and when they're pulsating harmoniously through drumming and being exposed to drums as well as playing, the thinking and the feeling is more integrated so your thinking is improved and therefore your behavior. Neurons fire usually in rhythm. They're like rhythmic cues for thought and action, but they can be broken and even destroyed by disease, by trauma, by illness. And drumming and the sound of drumming and the continuous involvement with rhythm and drumming by skilled leader can repair these connections. So people have suffered from stroke particularly or Parkinson's disease, these debilitating neurological illnesses, benefit greatly when their treatment involves rhythm and drumming. Right, so I went down a little rabbit hole when reading papers for this episode. I don't have enough time to go deep and these findings don't really fit anywhere. So I'm going to go ahead and create a nice little segment called Fun Facts about some interesting things that I dug up and I might make this a regular feature for future shows. So, first paper, entitled Optimal Tempo for Groove, Its Relation to Directions of Body Movement and Japanese Nori. This was published in Frontiers in Psychology last year and revealed that there is optimum tempo for groove. That's the feeling that induces body movement. And they found that this existed for drum breaks at 100 to 120 BPM. Another nice paper that I stumbled across was entitled One in the Dance, Musical Correlates of Group Synchrony in Real World Club Environment, published in PLOS One in 2016. So last month I talked about the science of sleep and rave culture. So this is of particular interest to me because I feel like that euphoric feeling that you have when you are with a group of people dancing and enjoying the music is nothing short of magical. Well, this paper looked into what it is that creates that cohesion. So in this study, group synchrony of movement was recorded over time during a music set at a club and showed that the greatest group synchrony based on back and forth torso movements was achieved during, wait for it, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham and You Can't Hurry Love by The Supremes and Black or White by Michael Jackson. while YMCA by The Village People, The Freak by Chic, and Car Wash by Rose Royce resulted in the least group synchronization. So during the set, group synchrony of torso movements was mostly associated with pulsations that approximate walking rhythm. So that's 100 to 150 BPM. 
And actually the three songs that resulted in the greatest group synchrony had the highest real world play counts of all the songs that were played during the set. So taken together, that means that group synchrony is constrained to familiarity of movement and of music. Basically, knowing the song and doing a movement that everyone does. So before I describe the final paper that I read, a quick disclaimer, the next couple of minutes includes descriptions of a sexual nature. Okay, so this paper is very strange. It's titled Sexual Arousal and Rhythmic Synchronization, a Possible Effect of Vasopressin, and it was published a few years ago. So this paper suggests that there's a link between music and sexual selection. So vasopressin is a hormone that acts on a part of the brain which is involved in rhythmic perception and production, and that part of the brain is called the basal ganglia. The thing about vasopressin is it is found at a higher concentration in males and rises during sexual arousal. So this is specific to men, not so much in women. So as part of a pilot study on just one male subject, these scientists asked this man to carry out self-manual penile stimulation until sexual arousal was reached, as they described it. Then he was asked to tap with his dominant finger over a metronome. Once he finished the task, he was then asked to continue self-manual penile stimulation until ejaculation occurred. Oh, to be a research assistant on this study. Um, then after a few minute rest period, he was asked to repeat the task. So after all that trouble, they actually didn't see any differences between the first and the second task, meaning that whether he ejaculated or not, sexual arousal full stop led to a high concentration of vasopressin in the basal ganglia and facilitated better synchronization, at least for this one man. Which I'm interpreting to mean that if a guy is sexually aroused, he will transform into a better dancer, perhaps. So I hope I've given you some fun facts for the next dinner that you go to. And now for the next half of the show, talking about drumming and rhythm with two incredible drummers who I had the pleasure to interview, Pegasus Warning and Paulie the PSM. Stay locked. So changing gears now, I want to talk about our ability as humans to create rhythm. When I was eight, I started learning the piano, but even after years of practice, I never got good at it. When I was 16, I started playing the drums and after just a few months was playing at grade six level. Now, unfortunately, I stopped in my early 20s and never became the world's most respected drummer, but I like to think that I do still have it and it was something that I think came quite naturally to me. Now, obviously, I'm far from professional, but I do know someone who is. I spoke to Pegasus Warning about his drumming practice to get an insight into what it's like to get there.
to Sound Science this month. We are talking about the science of rhythm. And you are, of course, also known as Pegasus Warning. Yes. Um, and I'm delighted to have you on the show. I'm so happy. We're talking about drumming in this particular capacity, but you actually play a number of different instruments. You're a vocalist, sure. writer, producer, yes. percussionist. Right. So drums is just one thing that you yeah. can do. And right. actually what I'm really interested in sort of speaking to you about is how you came to play the drums and how, I guess, if you're learning on your own, how learning the drums and sort of that kind of developing rhythm that way... Mm changes when you then you know play with others mm. how has that been for you okay so i started i think playing drums because my grandfather was a drummer that was the main entry point and then that combined with my mother's influence she's an ethnomusicologist i think those two things combined created my more focus on the drums. Uh, how old were you? I guess three, four, yeah, five, like very life. young. Yeah, yeah. So that was the moment that I can re- remember playing drums from West Africa with my grandfather. You know, but he was coming from American jazz technique. So we were we ended up playing brushes on these drums that weren't the American drum set. So I already started with a kind of like hybrid identity of what what belongs with what was already kind of um, yeah hybridized as I was going into it so it's just from the beginning it was it was a mixed approach and that has stayed with me since since then that point do you remember being because you were quite young do you remember it coming naturally to you yes I've been told that I would was dancing to like faucet dripping back then. Oh. <laughs> the mother faucet dripping. So just yeah, there was no blockade to it. it yeah, my grandmother so was the only one. And this was more later on. I think she more encouraged the piano because she saw it as more of a um, job possibility. But she, always supportive, always full support of my parents. Yeah, my whole family continues to support me what I do in music and. That's the main, that's the thing, is to have that support. So you had piano lessons, then you started to learn drum music and... And the drum music, I didn't start learning and reading until probably fourth grade. The thing about it is it's like the mechanics of it are so important. There's specific ways that you need to hold your hands to execute dynamics in the instrument I guess like with any instrument but with some something that's so visceral and clearly the early human expression of music mm-hmm. and art it seems kind of counterintuitive right but in contemporary music or drumming or the contemporary expression of this very old human tradition whether it's voice or drums there's techniques because the instrument, the tools to express this very human need to hit things mm-hmm. and make a sound has developed. So 
The drum has so many parts. You want to be able to express the greatest level of dynamics that you'd like to. So the technique is important. I, 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 I get that. And that can sometimes, if you don't have the right teacher or the right guidance or the right whatever, it can dissuade you and, and discourage you from continuing on. So you just play that incredible... I want to call it a piece. <laughs> Improvisation. Idea. Idea. Um, so that could be written as drum music. Sure. sure. How do you feel the rhythm changes a lot if of you were to read that? So this idea of notated composition versus improv improvised composition. and Improvised composition is just a faster form of composition than notated composition. Got it. It's just more immediate. I'm still composing. Mm-hmm. It still can be expressed with notation, but because I'm not only a composer and I'm also a performer and improviser, I just do it faster. <laughs> so yeah, so this is faster and without the pen and paper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you find that you have rhythm you'll go to like a default sort of rhythm? I remember when I played, I would always go for the dun dun. <laughs> I would right, just always right, feel right. like when I was just improvising, playing around, I'd right. always go there. So there are rhythms that you're more, or like particular styles, like right. jazz. Or, right, right, right. You know, there's things that forms. I'm more comfortable with, yeah. and there's things that I gravitate toward. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why. Like, I, I have um, uh, mentors and older musicians that I used to play with that would, in jazz that would say that's a bag, or like, there, there she is falling into that bag again, or there he is, he's in, the, he's in that bag. And a bag is bad. Um, it's bad. A bag is you're falling into the pattern of your own tricks and not you're not progressing and you're not creating. We've heard you do that before. We're bored now. Mm -hmm. um, it's a read. It's a very strong read. <laughs> <laughs> That's an ouch. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There he goes into that bag and it could be anything. You're leaning on some well-trodden path. Yeah, it's a crutch, right? Yes, yes, do, yes. Do you find that, because you started learning so young, are some of those things related to the, the first rhythms that you learn, oh, or are they completely... I don't think so. No. Oh, yeah. Um, when I got the drum set, eight, nine, ten, something like that, mm -hmm. somewhere in there, um... Yes, when I got the drum set, now the rhythms I play are re related to that, absolutely, because I was just talking about this last night, but <laughs> Bon Jovi's um, Slippery When Wet was one of the first records that I could play from front to back oh, really? on the drums, and that's, it's still well, well in, in me, yeah. Can you play a little? Um... <laughs> A little extra, or uh, an edit, an edit of it. <laughs> you always try and whenever someone jumps on some drums they always try and yeah, yeah, yeah. go to the, the music that they know so one of the last questions I was thinking about is really yeah because I mean, there's so much potential here in this drum kit is right. there, what is what element of the rhythm has been most challenging for you sometimes I hear other drummers 
play and I wonder why so many notes in a in a fill. Uh-huh, yeah. And then it becomes and then I then I question myself, am I questioning myself? Am I questioning that style because I don't practice that style? Mm-hmm. Not that I couldn't achieve that style, but it's just not my stylistic choice. So it's very difficult because I there's some things that I don't play because I don't want to, but am I closing off a door to my development? Yes, probably. Is now the moment to question that? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. It's not really necessary. No. At point. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's maybe something in old age or just like, oh, maybe I'll try that. Um, but, I mean, especially now in the... Um, YouTube and Instagram era where you can check out so many different styles mm -hmm. up close. Mm. Never before were you able to see that. You, you have more choice of what, what you want to do or what you don't want to do. Sometimes just standard. Mm -hmm. and, you're, and I wonder why that standard exists. It's almost like a military standard. Yeah, it's interesting. Or, or a, um, uh, like a sports standard. Mm. Like a a comp competitive standard and I'm just like I don't want to go anywhere near that yeah. bar that is, bar has nothing to do with, with anything that I want to you know and it's the way things are are tuned and the way drums sound and it's just like whoa not my cup of tea particularly yeah you want to be more expert I mean you, a lot of your you know, you use a lot. You go to lots of different genres in your music. Yeah, so not limited. Versatility and, is. So, yeah, exactly. Versatility. Yeah, that's where I. That's where I want to be. Yeah. And um, I don't feel no blockades to what I'm trying to do now. Yeah. If there were some technical issues to something that I was trying to create at the drums or at the voice, maybe voices better, then I would address it. You know. Uh -huh. I can't do that. Okay, well then you slow it down or you find another ears and eyes to help you through it or you watch YouTube videos and you know, just like, oh, I wanna do that or, you know, I'm very, I feel very um, blessed to have my own vision behind mm -hmm. the drum set and mm -hmm. just musically um, and I feel very, usually, <laughs> very strong in that you yeah. know so I like what we when we were chatting before I like what you said about there being just continuum between all your instruments so I was right. going to ask you has your piano informed your your drumming or but yeah. for you it sounds like it's just your vocals and the percussion and everything is just one it's just flow. all one thing it's just, yeah like I said before I don't I don't differentiate between the sound of a drum and the sound of a piano or voice. It's just all the same. Um, and I try to translate that idea into my music. Mm -hmm. I'd like that to be messages underneath the layers yeah, that's yeah. there in the, one of the lessons. Yeah, rather. and you can tell from I've, I've listened to your music oh, and cool. that's definitely something that stands out to me. Oh, good. Um, uh, in fact, for our listeners who aren't aware, can you give us a little update on... Oh, new stuff? New stuff. Oh, thanks for asking. upcoming? Yeah, the new music is very much afoot. 
and it is on the way. Mm -hmm. Things are coming out next year, oh, 2019. Um, probably by June, I'll have new music out. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's coming. Cool. It's coming. It's, it can't be stopped. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, there's plenty of stuff. I just have to figure out the right way to um, release it into the yeah, when you have so much, you're, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not choose. sure, yeah, and of, of course it has to have some sort of um, vision mm -hmm. um, expressed through visuals, so, uh, yeah, I, I work so much on the music and the sound, and now it's time to kind of work on the, how it looks and how it, I want it to feel to people. Um, besides the sounds of music, as I still like, put some finishing touches on some songs and try to sneak in some new material in there, just as I go. Cause yeah, it's gonna be fun when it's released and I get a chance to play it out and let people hear it. And um, yeah, I'm excited. That's exciting. So yeah. after, after June, you'll be doing live. Yeah, I'll probably be doing stuff leading up to that. Okay, there's a cool. there's a residency here in LA that I'll probably be um, be doing at some point very soon, maybe February or March, and um, yeah. Awesome! Wow! Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so yeah, much for, for being my guest. I um, it. Yeah, that was it. Was great to chat. Cool. Thanks. So my next guest is an old friend of mine, Paulie the PSM, or just Paulie. In this interview, we talked about his career as a drummer, which is pretty incredible. And he was kind enough to share with me three drum solos, which have really influenced his drumming practice. So let's jump straight into it. Enjoy. Welcome to Sound Science. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. So this month we're exploring the science of rhythm, which I know you know a thing or two about. Um, so when we first met, you had been appointed as music director uh, for the MOBO Awards a year prior and was playing drums for Gorillaz and then on the African Express Tour, um, which are projects both created by Blur's frontman Damon Albarn. So it's now 2018. Can you fill us in on what you've been up to since then? I know, for example, you debuted your first live show as a solo artist at Paris Fashion Week last year. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Well, um, yeah, things are happening on the show. It's truly an honour. Um, I guess since then, I've just been playing drums with different people, most recently Sanfar. Um, I worked with him in the studio and on his last two tours, he did like a, a European and Australian tour. Um, and then this year, he just did like a festival tour, which is really fun. Um, and then since then, most recently, I've been working on a solo music project. Amazing, you've been really busy. And I mean, this all started back in, so as far as I know, you won the UK Young Drummer of the Year Award in 2005 and ended up playing on Blue Peter, which of course is a British institution and beacon of childhoods across the nation. Um, so how old were you when you won that award? I was 
you were 16 at the time I won't count we won't give anything away Um, but so you were 16 then how long had you been playing before then and how did you pick up playing the drums probably started then I was around 11 at secondary school my first instrument was clarinet and I was playing that in primary school but then when I got to secondary school all the kids like Basically, I went to the school where they gave us an option of what instrument we wanted to play, and everyone was like, I want to play a cool instrument, and clearly it wasn't a cool instrument, so <laughs> I kind of wanted to be like a cool kid, and all the cool kids were playing guitar or drums, and yeah, I kind of went down the drumming route, and I guess like a huge inspiration for me around that time was seeing my cousin play drums as well, he was like an awesome session drummer, and I used to play a lot, just like in the community and different bands and stuff. So yeah, with that as my inspiration and being at school and being forced into playing instruments, those are like the two categories of being a drummer. I see. And did you find that playing the drums came naturally to you? Is it something that you picked up and sort of just had a feel for? I'm not too sure. I think it was an escape for me. So I enjoyed kind of locking myself away and like transporting through playing drums especially at that age as well like I didn't really have any other extracurricular stuff that was going on and I think when you're playing drums you can really get into the groove mm. um, do you know what I mean you can really like lose yourself in the music um, and yeah I think I, I just used to really enjoy doing that every day after school I'd just go home and lock myself away so I don't know if it was a natural thing and you just really enjoyed it which I guess is a really strong motivator for becoming good at something when you enjoy it because you I guess you want to be better um, I mean the drums to me always have felt like the most rhythmic instrument would you agree with that and I mean how would you define rhythm in that case yeah I guess any instrument can be rhythmic um, and rhythm I guess, I guess rhythm isn't defined by sound rhythm can be the way that something is processed through movement or like you know someone could be dancing in a rhythm I guess it's like a repeated it's a repeated occurrence or it's like a pattern or um, or just like a sequence and I guess any any instrument like a rhythm rhythmic drums is definitely a rhythmic instrument. Um, I guess the interesting, the interesting thing about the drum kit that I play is that it's it's like the modern take on the drum kit. This drum kit, like with cymbals and snare drum and toms that you sit down behind, is it's really modern in the the, the the lineage and the story of drums. Originally, drums were just individual instruments like bongos. If those come in pairs, but like in the, in West Africa, you see like a djembe. Mm-hmm. That's like an individual drum that someone would have between their legs. You wouldn't really see all those drums around one person. Um, I guess that's the interesting thing about um, what was what we what we do now with the drum kit or the drum set. Um, it becomes this like communication where you play all these different instruments, not just one instrument, not just the drum, 
it's like the symbols and forms of the kick drum and it creates this I guess a cacophony of sound that can create rhythm but it can be it can be what's the opposite of rhythm it can be anti-rhythmic um, yeah unrhythmic I mean, I think that's what I've always found interesting about drums because they're not, it's not notes that you're playing. You're playing with with percussion instruments that each make individual sounds. So it's how you hit the cymbal, I guess, or the kick drum. Is that right? Yeah, I guess so. Um, I you can always tune drums as well so you can have different notes or pitches that a drum can play oh um, I did not know that <laughs> yeah because I guess the skin of a drum if you tighten it it's going to get it's going to become a higher pitch and if you loosen it it's going to be a lower pitch a good example of that is like a talking drum mm-hmm. like a West African talking drum and by them squeezing it it's higher and by releasing it it's lower and that was one of the first forms of communication and people would like, communicate village to village via talking drums. That's, so yeah, I guess you can have notes um, with drums, but it's probably, yeah, it's probably that's recognised as like a piano that would have a key and scales. Yeah, right. And as you were saying, like the the drums, what the modern kit is now is uh, a number of different individual instruments that produce a cacophony of sounds. So thinking of the skills that you need to develop, obviously coordination is a really important part of that. So in terms of being a good drummer, are there skills which you, like your coordination, which you've had to really work at? Or as you've sort of, you started at um, when you were at school, so... Which school, which skills have you really had to hone versus which ones uh, have you felt come a little bit more easily to you? Um, I think the most difficult thing has been unlearning the things that you're taught. Because anyone can learn stuff from a, like an exercise book, but that's not what necessarily makes you great. I think it's having that individual flair or having that, you know, just individual vibe, something that makes you more unique mm-hmm. behind your instrument. Um, and I guess unlearning everything that I learned at school and in my drum lessons is what's helped me to make make me into the artist that I am now. I see. Did you learn drum yeah. music when you learn at school? Like reading yeah. the drum music? I see. Yeah, because I mean... Yeah. You're, I think, watching you play in a very individual way, which is really striking. And there's definitely, as you were saying, rhythm is about the way you move your body, not just defined by sound. And I think that you bring rhythm both to the way that you're playing, but also the way that you move your body when you play. Um, Would you say that rhythm is itself a teachable skill or do you feel like rhythm is actually quite difficult to teach? Uh, I, I don't think you can teach it in the, like collegiate sense maybe but I think it's innate everyone mm-hmm. has rhythm um, like your heartbeat is a rhythm mm-hmm. and you know if you're alive then you have rhythm I guess um, so I think it's just a matter of discovering your rhythm and 
maybe tuning in to your rhythm. You know, it's your walking that has a rhythm, dancing that has a rhythm. So, you know, I think there's no right or wrong to, to rhythm. What was I saying? It seems to be like the opposite. Yeah, yeah. I and guess rhythmic. it sounds like what you're saying is. <laughs> The rhythm is how it can be perceived. So I think some people would look at a particular or hear hear particular sounds or watch particular movement and find that the opposite of rhythmic. But actually, by definition, there are just lots of different rhythms, I guess. Yeah, I think you can have like polyrhythms. You can have rhythms that cross, that, that cross over each other. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think... I think the key thing is that rhythm is innate. Everyone has rhythm. My favourite thing about rhythm, though, is how it's spelled. <laughs> <laughs> it's so random. I remember being at school and no one could spell rhythm. It's. I still can't spell rhythm. <laughs> I have it written here. And I remember my music teacher at the time, um, Mrs Meadows. She was awesome, and she she told us this little uh, this little rhyme that was. Uh, it wasn't even a rhyme, it's just really hip young teacher has measles. And that's how you spell rhythm, R-H-Y-P-H. Oh, that's a good one. Because I don't think I can, to this day, spell rhythm without spell check. <laughs> really hip young teacher has measles. <laughs> now I know, now I know. Um, okay, so Paulie, I was, I wanted to ask you about, so I learned the drums myself when I was um, at school. Um, and someone who I found it quite interesting at the time was Ginger Baker of Cream. And I thought that wow. he was quite an interesting drummer just because he was rock in terms of genre. But actually, he started off as a jazz player and was influenced by African rhythms. And then, of course, like I, I love Tony Allen. And there are so many, so many incredible drummers that each have their own style um, within different genres. Do you yourself play with mixing different rhythms or do you prefer one style over another? Um, I guess the first thing is Ginger Baker's awesome. That's a big shout out. <laughs> have you seen his documentary? I haven't seen it. Is it on? You have to check it out. I think it's called like Beware of Mr. Barker or something like that. Um, he's an interesting character. He's, uh, he's like quite a complex, complex soul. Um, yeah. Yeah. Check out, check out I need to check that one out. There's a drama yeah. No, carry on, as, as you were saying. Yeah, there was, um, there was this awesome drama that he used to play with called um, Remy Kabaka Senior. Mm-hmm. And um, he was that more And kind of creating this 
that's what I think. I think that, that's the best. Like, those are the best ways of doing something, creating something authentic. There's nothing new under the sun, but there's definitely a beauty in, in, in the merging of those the different styles. I think one of my favourite songs is Mitch Mitchell, who came to Jimmy Hendrix, and his vibe was totally nice, like jazz and rock. Yeah, and I think it's quite obvious through your own of what I've heard of your your drumming. It, it you can tell that you have more than just like one particular influence, and it's more of a a fusion of sort of different ways of approaching the drums. I think it's awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. I've worked hard at just learning as much as possible from different drummers over the years, just watching, kind of absorbing different sounds, and then actually just it comes out when I'm performing absolutely are there any genres that you just aren't really interested in exploring like you wouldn't really touch um, no everything everything I wouldn't touch there, there's like a genre called mash rock mash rock um, yeah, my rock, like, like, mathematics. Oh, okay. Um, just all based on subdivisions and, and numbers. And I, I don't know if I'd be into that. It feels more technical than musical, if that makes sense. Yeah, got it. So that, dear listeners, is the end of the show. I hope that you are now feeling thoroughly stimulated on this Monday morning. For show notes, you can go to www.soundsciencepodcast.com. You can also listen back there on the DubLab archives. You can hit me up at soundsciencepodcast at gmail.com or at soundsciencepodcast on Instagram. If you have any questions or any ideas for future shows, I am more than happy to oblige. Share with me your ideas. So that's it. But I'm going to leave you now with this from Mr. Coley from his TEDx talk, which didn't really fit in anywhere else, but I thoroughly enjoyed. Enjoy the rest of the week. See you next month. I work a lot with teenagers. I work with black and Latino teenagers especially. My job is to teach Afro-Latin drumming and to teach community drum circles to uh, facilitate the community drumming together. The kids and I focus on uh, learning the Afro-Latin drumming fees to perform. And I work not only on the content, but on the process, the habits of mind. I want them to get transferable skills that they can take into the world. Things like seeking accuracy, drawing upon all your senses to get the information you need, modulating your impulses. Very good for teenagers, right? and perseverance, sticking with it when things get tough. Right now we perform four rhythms right in a row, something like the Temptations Greatest Hits. And they start with Samba Reggae from Brazil. And then we go to from merengue from Dominican Republic.
go to Bomba from Puerto Rico. Bomba. And we ended up with uh, Conga de Comparsa, the carnival music from Cuba. Boom. <laughs>